Welcome to the Grow to Gold podcast. I am your host, Brett Goldstein, and on today's episode, I have AK Grover. I am super excited to introduce him to everyone. This guy is an absolute legend. Just a little bit of a background for him. Went to Duke University for undergrad, ended up going to medical school, ended up running into some issues that he'll share with us on this episode, and it's, it's going to blow your mind. And then from there, ended up growing into a position where now he is absolutely dominating in the solar industry, making hundreds of thousands of dollars, and it's really exciting to see. So I had to get this guy on the podcast, and I'm super excited to pick his brain and share him with everybody. So AK, welcome to the show, my man. How are you? Awesome. Thanks, Brett. I don't know about legend, but I'm definitely doing pretty well overall. I like it, man. I appreciate the modesty. So let's start your story from the beginning, man. Introduce yourself to the Grow to Gold community. Where do you come from and what are you all about? Yeah, so my, I am originally, my family's from Indian Native. Um, so my actual name is Ankit Grover. I just go by AK. It actually, ever since being in sales is when I really started going by AK just because of ease of use. Cool. That's good stuff, man. So let's take us through the story. I always like to, with these episodes, jump right in because I know people want to get right to the juicy details. So give us your story, man. You and I were catching up a bit before we jumped on air here. So you're in Duke, you're going to college. What's going on? What's, what's your lifestyle over there like? So really, I think it's important to start kind of at the beginning, sort of growing up. So I, I actually saw, I was born into an Indian family. It was kind of kind of third generation because my mom actually was born in Minneapolis, which is pretty uncommon because most of my Indian friends, their parents were, their Indian parents were from India. But my dad lived a lot of his life in England. My mom lived in the US and then Canada. And so I definitely had a multicultural experience. Um, but growing up, you know, my parents were absolutely amazing. I, I only have good things about to say about my parents. They raised me the best way they knew how. With that being said, though, my dad was from a very strict Indian background with a heavy engineering background. He went to a school called Indian Institute of Technology, which is like MIT times 10. And so he is a very successful, his like all India rank was like 12th in India. And, and India is a pretty smart country. So needless to say, he was hard on me growing up. And not, not just was he hard on me, but it just so happened. So my dad was pretty high up at Clemson University. He came in and he was one of the highest paid professors, which stirred up a lot of controversy because the football coach, Dabo Sweeney, was making less than some business professor. And people in Clemson love their football. <laughs> and so, but... He, he was kind of kind of a, a celebrity sort of in a small town. And so a lot of eyes were on me. And it just so happened that the street I grew up on happened to have about 10 Indian families. All, and there's one high school in Clemson. So all of us went to the same high school, played all the same sports together, competed in everything. And so, and the reason I'm giving you this context is because this kind of this whole like go-getter mentality, it was instilled in me at a very young age. Um, I used to literally, 
And I'm not saying this for sympathy because it actually helped a lot, but I used to stay, I remember when I was 12 years old, being up for a week before receiving my report card because I was so worried about getting below a 96. Anything below a 96, I had to listen to my dad for a long time. And the worst thing for me in the world is disappointing my dad. Um, anyways, long story short, I ended up being very successful in high school overall. I um, graduated top of my class. I did go to Duke University. Um, and from any outsider's perspective, my life was made at that point. I was at a top school studying biomedical engineering, planning on going to medical school. Um, and so what happened is kind of a continuation from high school. Even though I never really got in trouble in high school, I uh, started to go to parties and I started to, you know, drink, drink alcohol underage and got into some substance abuse, very minor in high school. But at Duke, you know, for people who don't understand Duke University, it's a lot like Ivy League schools I've heard are very similar, where it's a bunch of really rich people in an area who suddenly have a bunch of freedom. I mean, these are people who are on Wall Street now. Like, these are people who are very successful people. But it is, it is shocking, like, some of the stuff, like, their high school career was, I thought I lived a pretty fulfilling high school experience living in a college town. But these guys from up north in these private schools, they were on a whole other level. You know, started, I started doing cocaine, like, my first week at Duke. And then hallucinogens, like, mushrooms and LSD and like one thing after another but at that time it was honestly it was all it was fun for the most part it was this is before the time when it actually became a problem and so what happened when I, I'll just go directly into it but what happened is I ended up waking up in the hospital January 2010 uh, with my jaw broken in three places, my nose and my right orbit fractured. I woke up and I asked the I asked the emergency doctor. I was like, "Hey, doc, are my teeth?" This is after I gained consciousness. I was like, "Are my teeth are about to fall out?" Because my I felt like my teeth were really loose. And he said, "No, son, that's your jaw hanging off." Um, I had lost like uh, over a quart of blood. And I mean, if I, if I had been a little bit longer to the emergency room, I may have not made it. I was bleeding that much. Um, so for the next, I had reconstructive jaw surgery and had my jaw wired shut for the next six months. And this is, and you know, you hear this, these stories all the time about doctors over prescribing medication. And I mean, they really should have picked up on the fact that what led me to that situation that ended up with me being assaulted was drug and alcohol related. I was at partying at NC State. Um, but instead, they prescribed me high dosage narcotics, both, uh, both the, or the, the reconstructive surgeon as well as the psychiatrist I went to see after gave me both uh, addictive medications, which I proceeded to get addicted to over the next six months. And um, I ended up trying to go back to Duke. I couldn't, I was miserable. I was, you know, on these, on these medications, on an all liquid diet. And I told my parents, I was like, I gotta come home. 
which which this this is a big deal for me because like I had put all my eggs like my identity when it comes to academic things my identity is very tied into it and it has to do with how I grew up and so leaving Duke was a big transition that's powerful you tell your story so well I'm sitting I, I haven't said a single word because it's just it's it's like I'm living the story with you so, <laughs> I want to I want to keep letting I want it to be more of a back and forth but there is a lot to it no this is perfect man it's it, it's everything that I was hoping here because I'm really getting to meet you for the first time you know on a face-to-face -face basis through this call myself so I'm excited that's the that's my favorite part about doing this is I get to learn with everybody else so yeah, no absolutely in terms of the next part of your story so you're you're coming home and yep. you got to deal with dad and you said letting down your father's your <laughs> here yep I mean there was yeah you're 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 starting to yeah you're definitely you're definitely putting the pieces together so I I come home and I am living at home I mean I am 20 years old um, so in, in between Duke and Clemson, I actually did an internship in Washington, D.C. Uh, my aunt owns a multi-million dollar company. Um, she's very successful. So I worked as an internship at her firm. And, you know, the same old stuff happened. But uh, the funny thing is, all these people I was there from Duke, um, since everyone at Duke after their first and second year does some kind of internship, so that whole summer, these guys had no idea, but I was already planning on going home to Clemson. And it, it really is unfortunate because I had developed some pretty good friendships. Um, but I did end up going to Clemson. I joined a fraternity, Kappa Sigma at Clemson, which for me is probably not the best idea in the world. Because, um, you know, one thing led to another. And you have to, so my, my whole goal at this point is so when i left duke i had a 2.8 gpa and i wanted to go to medical school anyone who knows anything about medical school knows that if you have lower than a 3.5 it's nearly impossible to get in and so not only that but when you transfer schools they don't actually just look at your most recent school they'll actually still look at the duke grades so i did the calculation and i realized that not only did i i, I wanted to graduate on time I had two years left. I did two years at Duke and I had two years left at Clemson, except I had to do this whole degree still because I was starting at a different school. A lot of my credits wouldn't transfer. So I, over the two years at Clemson, I averaged about 20 credit hours a semester, which the average is about 12. Um, and I knew I needed to get about a 4.0 in order to have a shot at medical school. And I got about a 4.0. Um, while while going out and living that life, and 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 mind you, I was literally out drinking or doing some kind of substance abuse five six days a week. No, 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 not five six days, but every day I did something or another. I could not live life clear headed, and you know I can make all the excuses in the world, but I did try to live that second life for the longest time. And I was semi-successful for a long time. And so I think, you know, they talk about rock bottom. <laughs> you know, my, my story, I didn't really have a rock bottom. I just kept digging. I mean, yeah, I hit rock, but then I took a sledgehammer and kept going lower and lower. And I'm about to get into that. So I ended up graduating from Clemson. Um, I graduated cum laude. 
then I, I, I didn't get into medical school my first time. I did really well my MCATs, um, but I didn't get into medical school my first time. And so you have to remember at this point, my whole identity, it already was tied to my academic life, but now my whole identity is engrossed into this one thing, becoming a doctor. So I'm already picturing myself there. I'm already picturing myself. Like I have all these dreams and fantasies. I already see it. Like I know I'm going to make it one way or another. And so the year between <laughs> this was an interesting year. The year between undergrad and starting medical school, I worked as a as a research associate for at Clemson University. I, I had a National Science Foundation grant. I actually published a couple papers out of it. Um, no one would ever guess the sales manager was publishing medical journal articles, but once upon a time I did. Um, problem is the lab I worked at. We did a lot of rad aortic dissections and so like a lot of microscopic surgery um the problem is it just so happened that my lab that i managed had needles syringes like with the same ones iv drug users use i have i had never been an iv drug user i had abused a lot of medication but now i'm at this lab with a lot of free time and all this free equipment and naturally, I taught myself how to use drugs intravenously. I mean, I don't, I don't know how else to put it, but I taught myself how to. And, and I, I, you know, that was kind of a, a little taste. And there are so many stories I could go into. It would take forever. But, I mean, I've had my car stolen the first time I did meth and you name it. But my, my drug of choice was heroin. And opiates. That was, and it's probably the worst to be your drug of choice. But one thing led to another. I, I actually, so in that year between undergrad and medical school, I actually got engaged for my first time. So um, I've been engaged three times. The third one finally stuck, by the way. <laughs> so this was the first engagement. And um, so she she moved with me to Columbia to medical school. And medical school is tough, man. I don't know how else to put it. Like medical school, and, and it's not every medical school is necessarily as tough as mine was, but USC School of Medicine was tough. And a lot of it had to do with the curriculum, the type of curriculum. It was, it was a traditional curriculum instead of systems-based like other medical schools had. And so, it was tough you know the first two years of book work i i would never even be driving in my car without listening to some medical tapes not only listening to medical tapes but i would have my knees propped up driving my steering wheel with notes in my hands because i was on the go non-stop but i worked 15 hours a day and then obviously i had to treat myself after so i go out to the bars you know wake up with a hangover work 15 hours again go put on my white coat go see patients and this was my life you know daytime school nighttime life of the party you know what brett i've seen more people more future doctors of america <laughs> puke in public than anyone should ever imagine like your doctors chances are when they were in medical school they were drunks and and it, it's it's not you know 
people people say that all the time jokingly but it, it's a real issue I, I i was not let's put it this way i was not the only person in my class with substance abuse issues not even close to the only person i bet i bet and and dude this has been incredible so far so i appreciate you continuing to go into all this so next step from there and i could ask you a million different questions but i want i want to keep yeah. progressing the story and so now at this point you're working in the, are you, where are you working right now while you're in medical school? Cause you mentioned you were working. No, so that, that was after in medical school, I was there. No, not, not working at medical school. That would, well, it's not allowed first oh. of all. Okay. Sorry. Uh, that I, 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 I might've messed that up then. So after, no, I, I think I was, I was unclear. So that was, that was after recovery, finding recovery and everything. So that was right before starting at legacy. Um, but when, so what happened with medical school? So in, in these few years that I was in medical school, um, my first fiance left me, which was obviously was a big hit on me because like, I, I'm one of those people who puts my identity into things. If you can't tell that already, like I put my identity into medical school. I put my identity into my fiance. I put my identity into sports before I put my identity into my job. And it's not, I, I forgot that line, but we are, anyways, I'm not sure where I'm going with that. But what, what ended up happening is in medical school, my identity was being a doctor and I already had pictured myself. I already knew it was there. I already pictured myself as the family man. I knew how many kids I wanted, everything. And um, for someone who's so sporadic, I actually do plan things out for the most part. But one thing, you know, this, this life that I was living, the whole Jekyll and Hyde lifestyle can only end one way, uh, jails, institutions, or death. Unfortunately, I have done the jails and institutions a lot, and I'm about to get into that. But before I get into that, medical school came to a, my whole identity, this whole house of cards I had built for myself toppled over in one day i remember it clearly it's like i mean i had i had a little over a year left of medical school i was at my md like looking into orthopedic surgery residencies like my whole life was made and then one slip up where i was i was basically got in trouble for substance abuse and no rehab no second chance dismissed that was a big hit like this is and it, it is so much it goes so much deeper than that i was the oldest i am the oldest grandchild on both my sides of an indian family my mom's side and my dad's side i'm probably the only 31 year old with all four grandparents still alive but that's a whole other story. Dude, the pressure that you must have felt in that situation led to, dude, you were walking a tightrope that was almost unwalkable with the amount of pressure that you were putting on yourself. It's, it's, I, and I, I thought I had these thoughts all the time that my grandparents' happiness depended on my success. I honestly thought that because being the oldest grandchild in an Indian and and like my dad's parents we me and my brother are the only two grandchildren and on my mom's side they have four i have two cousins as well but i was the oldest one and not only that but a doctor in an indian family is kind of like the family business 
So I was literally showcased around like a pony my whole life. Like, look, here's my grandson, the doctor. Here's my grandson, the future doctor. What? Whatever it was, the, like, stan- the standards, was- the standards that you had to hold yourself to at all times. I just want to tell you, man to man, it it makes sense because the yeah. standards that you were held to were unreachable. And I can see as a kid growing up in that culture, like this is you are the guy, and setting that expectation that you have to live up to your whole life. That is. A, an intense way to live your whole life. So dude, the, yeah, fact that just, the fact that you've overcome this and you're sitting there right now where you are having the success that you're having, recanting this story for people, you are changing somebody's fucking life right now. So I'm just saying that's that. That's awesome. That's, that's what it's all about because I, I know I'm not alone in this. I, I, I have a unique story, but there's people with similar stories out there. Um, it's becoming more and more common unfortunately but i do hope that like when people listen to this like if they ever think that there's not a way if they ever feels like it is hopeless and i'm not talking about um you know talking about offing yourself around i'm just talking about that feeling of hopelessness like you can't go on like whether it's substance abuse whether it's with a relationship i'm here to tell you that that's not true my life is better than it's ever been it is better than i ever imagined but it wasn't in 2013 it wasn't i was kicked out of medical school and then 2013 onwards was rough 2013 to 2017 when i got clean were the roughest years of my life um so i left medical school and now what i mean just just try to think you you graduate with a biological sciences degree like yeah i did really well but at the end of the day it's still a biology degree what do you do with a biology degree and so i i started getting in my head that maybe business school you know my dad has his mba he ended up becoming a business professor after and i figured that maybe business is the route for me um so this is i i should clarify this is one of my ideas, but there's still 90% of me did not want to give up on medical school. I was not willing to I was give just up. Gonna, I was just going to ask you, and I'm glad you circled the conversation back there. When you get kicked out of a medical school for what you got kicked out of, can you go to another medical school? I don't know if that's a hmm. dumb question. No, no, it's not at all. So I would have to tell them about the situation because they would see it in financial aid when you, when you get the grad plus loans they would see that you went to another medical university. So I would have to tell them that I was dismissed making it. I mean, you have to remember medical school as it is, has like a 5% acceptance rate. And so when they see someone with these huge red marks, it doesn't matter how smart they are. I mean, just like from a logical point of view, they can't, they, I mean, there's so many other successful candidates that they, they picked over and I actually will circle back because long, long story short, I ended up sharing my whole story when I got into business school and ended up getting one of the only full scholarships they offer because I told them completely honestly. And now this is, this is years later. Um, but those years from 2013 to 2017 were the most transformative years of my life. I, 
so I, I had built that whole, you have to remember at this point, I had a very big head because of medical school, because of Duke University and then medical school, or even before that graduating top of my class, I thought I was unstoppable. The fact that I could be using drugs and alcohol like this and still be beating out all these people, yeah, I thought I was the man. <laughs> and imagine, so that whole persona was slammed down real quick uh, as soon as medical school was gone. But then I'm at a point where I'm trying to build myself back up and figure out who am I. Now that I'm not AK the medical student, I need to figure out like, what am I? Who am I? And, and I did not do that successfully over the next few years. I went, I've been arrested in my life about 15 times. You would uh, most never, of those you would never <laughs> think that today. I've spent longest time I've spent in jail was 61 days, which is not incredibly long, but coming from my background, it was, it was a lot. I also, I, I wasn't as built as I am now. Um, back then I was, I was a scrawny guy, just, you know, did you and have any, so, just really quick, did you have any relationship with your family at that point with what you were going through or were you pretty much disowned? Yeah, I was disowned. So I, I actually, not, not only was I disowned, so when I got clean, February uh, 28th, 2017, when I was, sorry, April, April 28th, but when I got clean, I ended up, um, the way I got clean is I ended up waking up in county jail. And so what had happened is I'm now on fiance number two and fiance number two and I lived in a camper together on a lake, like a, a $1,500 camper that was pretty, pretty broken down. And I just remember like hallucinating around those campgrounds. And like, I honestly, like, this is how crazy my life had gone. I felt like there were other people living with us. And like, I remember thinking the craziest things like is my is my girl sleeping with these invisible people and I'm not even like this is the madness this is the craziness I I still remember um so I ended up getting a job working for a tutoring company um and I was about to start the job but my my fiance at the time ended up overdosing at, at our campground and it was kind of like the last straw because the ambulance pulls up and we had already made many scenes in the past, but she ended up, she ended up surviving. She didn't, she didn't pass away or anything, but we were homeless again and we had been homeless before and I have been homeless multiple times, but, and, and that's a many other stories, but this time being homeless, we, we, you know, neither of our parents were talking to us. Um, so to go back to the whole parents thing, when I end up getting locked up, my, my parents ended up not only disowning me, but they left the state. Like they moved, <laughs> they moved from Clemson to Arkansas. So they, they literally left the state. My parents even told me, we left the state because of you. Oh my God. So they went from parading you around like you are the shiny object that is going to achieve every goal and dream in the world to literally leaving the state when you're at your lowest low. Wow. So let, let me, let me, let me be clear though. Again, I do not blame them. No, they, I, like I, I, I had made their life 
literally, because remember, my dad was basically a celebrity in Clemson. Imagine all the times that I was in the newspaper for my shenanigans. And, you know, now I wake up in county jail and I was just tired of about it. And, and, you know, I actually, I actually, you know, you hear these crazy stories, but I, 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 I found God in jail. Let's put it that way. I went to a Christian rehab after, and let me be very clear. This is from someone with a very scientific mind that was a hardcore atheist. Like not only an atheist, but I was proud of it. Like I am, I am a logical human being. And like this, in my mind, I was convinced. Like, but I ended up in jail, I had a lot of time to think, and I was so low, I was so desperate, I needed to believe in something. And so it just so happened that a preacher was there, and you know what? I I took it and ran with it. And to this day, I still go to church. I'm not like a huge Christian or anything, but I do it just, just to believe in something more, like whatever that is, believing in something more. And that's a, that's a fundamental part of the AA, the 12 step programs. Um, so without getting into all the homelessness stories and which there are a lot of stories, like a lot of stories, but without getting into all of them, um, I finally did get clean. I went to the, I went to the Christian rehab and I actually went to multiple halfway houses after that. So over the next three years, I basically was living, jumping from halfway house. I, I, I get tired of things real quickly. So I used to be at a halfway house for like three months and then I got tired of it. Let me go to a new one, got tired of it. Let me, let me try out. And every time, like I convinced myself that I was upgrading. I convinced myself that I was upgrading halfway houses. And so let, let me, I, I probably should talk some about these sober living places and rehab. So first of all, my Christian, my Christian rehab, that was essentially a glorified homeless shelter. You know, we had a bunch of people in one room with these bunk beds. You know, they, they gave us home-cooked meals. We worked in the thrift stores. And I did this for six months, worked scrubbing toilets in thrift stores. So this is a person who just a few years before was about to get his medical degree. And I am sitting here in a Christian rehab, scrubbing toilets, not making any money, just doing this so I have a roof over my head. And, and then with the halfway houses, I, I cannot even tell you how many temp jobs I've worked. It is, I have worked probably over 50 temp jobs, like one, two day gigs. Like I didn't even know what a staffing agency was until I found recovery. Um, so that was one side of thing, the sober living. Then there was another side, which was the 12 step programs, uh, AA, NA, which, which now I don't go to meetings anymore. But one thing I will say is those meetings and that experience was invaluable because now I know that I have that option. Like I, I feel comfortable if I ever had an issue, I could go anywhere to any AA or NA meeting and I would find people with similar issues. And so even though I don't go and do these things as much as I should, I got a lot out of them. And more than that, I started to, I started to really start to introspect and learn so much about what made me tick. 
Like all this stuff that I'm sharing with you, this is not stuff that I really comprehended growing up. This is stuff that after I assimilated stuff together. Yeah, it's, it's incredible. So in terms of the next, next part from here, so now you found yourself in a position where you've gotten, you're about to get into this. So talk to us about how you got into the solar industry. Yeah, so I was, my, my entry into the solar industry was interesting. I was working for Jeff Lynch Furniture and Appliances in uh in greenville south carolina a family-owned business um a a business that's known for hiring people in recovery because and you have to remember at this point i have some misdemeanors on my record i i have a record i had there were multiple call center jobs that i was revoked my application think about this imagine imagine this imagine this guy you know in his late 20s you're rolling up to these staffing agencies with a resume, like pub, medical publications, medical school, like Duke University, and I'm going to these staffing agencies. They looked at me and laughed half the time. Not only did they laugh, they said, well, we can't give you this job. You'll leave. So like no one would give me a job because they, you know how many times I heard the words overqualified or the word overqualified? Like, what does that even mean, overqualified? If I'm overqualified, good, you should be happy. You should feel like you're winning because I'm too qualified for the position. Don't just not give it to me. But no, I mean, time and time again, I didn't get job offers. And, uh, and when I did get job offers, I was, you know, I, I got job revoked when I was supposed to be starting. So I, I get, did get a, a decent, which I considered a real decent job at the time, making $13 an hour, which is one of my higher paying jobs, by the way. And you're, and almost, so and you're almost 30 right now at this point in your life. I am 29. Yes. So before yeah. we continue the story, I just, everybody knows this already, but the fall in terms of the humility and the ego that had to be killed that you must have been living through every day, going from that point of you're just rocking it, you've checked every box, you're in medical school, you're, you're just doing it. And then to just keep falling and falling and falling and falling and getting to that point now where you're being told you're overqualified for call center jobs with medical publications and almost going to be a doctor. Dude, it's, it's an incredible story. It's an incredible it's, story. It's definitely a so journey. Then you find the opportunity to get into commission only door-to-door -door sales, right? Like, it's <laughs> yeah. like, you probably thought like, how much worse could it get at this point? Right? <laughs> so, so at, at Jeff Lynch, uh, so at, at this time, I had finally started to kind of get my crap together a little bit. Like I, I, and, and by that, I mean, like I was able to keep a schedule. You have to remember, I was learning how to be an adult. Like I did not know, I still don't know half the time I'll be an adult because all these years, like my mom, bless, bless her heart. My mom is the sweetest lady in the world, but she did everything for me. Like I had no chores. Like I just worked on work. You know, my son, the doctor focus on that. We'll take care of everything else. And so, you know, then what do you think happened with these fiancés? Like I basically replacing mom kind of. And yeah, it, it, it doesn't end up uh, working out too well. 
No, they, they don't want to be. They don't want to be a babysitter. They want a partner. That's for and, sure. And you can't blame them. But you know, learning how to be an adult. So not only is my ego slammed completely, but I'm like working every day. And the thing is, people in recovery, it's we've got this obsessive nature, and for so many years we channeled that obsessive nature to drugs and alcohol. Mainly, a lot of times it's to numb the pain, to not. And for me. Honestly, it was to slow me down. I slowed down my thinking because sometimes I'm going a million miles an hour and I needed that relaxation. Like, don't get me wrong. I still think I need it sometimes, but I don't use drugs. Um, I found other outlets like the gym is a big outlet that I use. I got really heavy into physical fitness. I actually got my personal trainer certification in recovery. Um, a lot of general, like, you know, self-improvement things I got really into. Like I wanted to be a better version. Like I wanted, I really desperately wanted to be someone I could respect again, but I wasn't at this time. Um, and it definitely, it definitely was a journey, but at Jeff Lynch, I was planning on getting to the sales floor. That was the whole plan. So two, two plans of mine, two short-term goals of mine were that year, I had already taken the GRE for business school. I already was planning on getting my MBA. Um, so those applications I still had to do. So I, we're sitting in December 2019. December 2019, um, you know, I'm 29 years old and I'm working that. I think I had just gotten a raise up to $14 an hour from 13. And, and, you know, still, still no clear sight to the sales floor. Uh, you know, the owner there kept telling me that he wanted me. He thought I would be good. But at the same time, he never gave me any clear path. And you know how funny it is to think now that, like, seeing me in sales, and like, I'm pretty sure he's regretting letting me go. Uh, maybe not, though. He might not know. But I, I, ended up, I ended up meeting with, this guy who I actually went to rehab with. And so that should have been the first red flag. But I, I was, you, you have to remember, I was so desperate for something more. Working these, you know, minimum wage jobs with no future ahead. I was so desperate for something more that I believed everything he told me. And he, he starts talking to me about a company called Legacy Power. And everything he's saying does sound too good to be true. Like, he, like yeah, he told me it was commission only, but he said when I, when I come on, there'll be a starting bonus to kind of help. Um, and, you know, I'll get an iPad, I'll get a bunch of clothes. And so he told me this at first. And then over the next few months, he progressed to slowly ask for money from me for onboarding for clothes and for the iPad and all these things. So I, you know, desperate to believe in something, I kept giving him money. And you, you have to, like, for me at this time, that's a lot of money. I ended up giving him, I think, $750 over the next few months. And $750 is more than I made in a week. It's what I made in two weeks after taxes, actually. And so I ended up giving, and, and by this point, I'm on fiance number three, and, which is my wife, who I love tremendously. And so, I, and she, she knows my whole story, by the way. But at this point, like, I'm thinking about supporting a family, trying to figure out. And so 
I, I, you know, I truly did want to believe him really badly, but what ended up happening is I finally got so, I, I, I finally was like, this is too much. Something is going on. When you start getting emails from a Gmail account saying, sorry, I, I'm not at work. That's why I'm using my personal email. Like that's, those are red flags. I ended up doing the most normal thing possible and Facebook messaged legacy CEO, Doug Robinson and said, actually, let me pull it up and read you what I read, what I sent. Cause uh, a couple years later, Doug and I actually joked about this. So I said, Hey Doug, Thank you for accepting my request. I hope this message isn't completely out of the blue, but I need some clarity. Um, let's call him John Doe, has been talking to me since mid-January about starting at Legacy. I've given him $735 for onboarding and got a contract notarized. The reason I am messaging you is because he said he spoke to you directly about me a couple days ago. I just wanted to confirm these facts since he's been telling me every day for weeks now that he's been in contact with Paul and I will be receiving my starting bonus and iPad. One thing or another goes wrong every day. I haven't spoken to Paul or anyone at the company other than John. So I'm starting to doubt the veracity of what he's been saying. I hope that everything he has said is true because I do think I do really well selling solar for legacy. I'm sorry that I had to message you directly, but I don't know what else to do. I had quit my job based on his word and have a fiance, an autistic four-year-old to think about. Thank you. Oh my God. Did he respond? He responded, please connect with Paul. Thanks. So he connected me to Paul Rundle. And by the way, Paul Rundle is my mentor, one of the people I respect most in this world. Paul Rundle, Jory Sullivan, fantastic people uh but at, at this time they're they're like their introduction to me is this guy who was basically conned into some position and so what ended up happening is paul ended up calling me that day and said you know what there might be there is he was like first of all that john doe does not work for legacy he was fired because of drugs and so the chicago office that he was in completely dissolved and he had no intent, legacy had no intentions of letting him back in. And so obviously at this point, that wasn't a total shock to me. So I was like, well, I've literally given this guy everything I own. I don't have money yet. Like, can I start? <laughs> and Paul was like, well, there's, uh, there could be a silver lining. So I, I still didn't know that I would be able to get the job. And I didn't know anything about door to door sales or anything. I didn't even really comprehend the fact that this was door to door. I just knew it was an entry into sales and I knew I'd be good at sales. I mean, when you, when you grow up hustling in high school, try to be the best, you go in medical school, like try to be the best, even on the streets, I did whatever it took to win mainly because I had to, I felt, or I felt like I had to, like, I felt like it was the necessity. So Anyways, I, I ended up rolling. So it just so happened that Jory Sullivan was in town at the time. So I, I remember this clearly rolling up in my broken down Hyundai Elantra with my breathalyzer. I had a breathalyzer. I actually still have a breathalyzer in my car. And I've been clean for years. 
Um, I had my license suspended for a couple years, and now I'm going on my last month of my two-year breathalyzer term. So I'm about to get it out, and I can finally buy my electric vehicle then. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. So where do we so – you, so you got into the company that you were initially being scammed from getting into after messaging the CEO and saying, hey, I need to confirm some facts. So now you're here. <laughs> Now you're at the company. That was about a year and a half to two years ago, if I, if mm -hmm. correct. Okay. So yeah, it was like February, February last year. That's incredible. So now you're in the company. Now you've become a manager at this point. So talk about just for the sake of time, cause we're coming up on the hour. Yeah. Just yeah, yeah. talk to us about where you're at right so, now in your, and feel free to fill in any pertinent information, but yeah, just kind of more current. Yeah. So yeah, absolutely. So I think before I, 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 I want to, so what legacy power? So whenever I talk about legacy, it's with so much gratitude to Doug, Luke, Damien, and I hope they know that, but I have so much gratitude for this company because when I got hired at legacy, not only did they give me a job, not only did they let me borrow a little bit of money because I had quit my job, but they had given me that $750 with no strings attached. Like I could have been anyone in the world. Like I, I, this, here's this guy who rolls up with a breathalyzer in his car after being conned by someone who was kicked out of the company because of drugs. And like, look at all these red flags, but no, Paul and Jory, I, I, I remember that conversation clearly. I was like, you guys just wait and see. Like I, I walked in after being beaten down so much in my life. I still walked in with all that confidence because I had learned how to portray that sense of confidence. And, and it ended up that I just had a knack for it. I had, I had fantastic training from Paul Rondell and I can't emphasize that enough. And I think that made a huge difference, but yeah, I actually ended up my first month getting about, I think, over 10 deals i ended up getting through the mentor program and i actually am probably the only person that i know of who ended up joining the company getting out of the mentee program and becoming a mentor within a month and so i had yeah you just needed a chance and somebody I just needed a chance and somebody finally fucking gave it to you i just needed a chance and this is after like you know years of literally taking the bus and not to mention all the mopeds I've owned. And it's just, there's just so much more to it, but the amount of gratitude I have for legacy power, uh, you know, Doug Robinson, Luke Toon, Paul Rundle, Jory Sullivan, it's, it's immense. Like they are literally my family, you know, companies talk about culture all the time, but I do think legacy's culture is on a different level. You've experienced it. You've experienced I have. And, and, I, I, and, I, I, and I love growing within the organization. That's incredible, man. So where, so now you're, what's your current position? What are you looking for? How can, how can somebody that's just listened to this for the last hour and just been blown the freak away by your story, man, how can somebody, because I know people listening to this are listening to this thinking, whatever this dude did, I need to be around him. And there's, I want this community to connect people with opportunities by connecting people with awesome people. So I know, you're, I know you're in a position right now where you're rocking. I, I mean, I'm going to brag about you a little bit here. I've seen Legacy Power does something called Big Check Fridays. And I've seen this guy in a single week get checks for well over 40000 bucks in a single week. 
coming from making $13 an hour in a warehouse, being kicked out of medical school and, and everything that you've heard here today. So kids rocking. So where can people find you? How do they join up with you? Just tell people where they can contact and, and how they can potentially follow you for the rest of your journey here, bro. Yeah, absolutely. I think the first thing is, um, you know, I have my social media profile. So AK Grover is my name. Um, I think my Instagram's AK Grover 08. Um, I love connecting with people in the industry. Just, you know, it, it's, you don't have to be going through something just to connect with me. But I, I would love to hear anyone's story because, you know, it, 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 you have the ability to change lives. You just, the biggest thing I can say to anyone listening is no matter what happens in life, just continue putting one foot in front of the other. And the time when I stopped making excuses is when I got better. And when I started to move forward, like, I hope nothing that I says sounds like I'm ever making excuses for what I've, uh, what, for my actions in the past. But, you know, it's, it's a constant struggle and I'm constantly growing. You know, there's personal issues, professional issues I deal with every day. But the biggest thing I could say is put one foot in front of the other and ask a lot of questions. I think Paul Rundle says it best. Like he, he said that AK asked more questions than anyone ever. And I think that was a big part of my success because I truly wanted to learn. I truly wanted to progress and I, I truly wanted to build and I still do. It's incredible. You know, just on a closing note, man, just my feedback, because this is really the first time you and I have chatted face to face. So I, this has been incredible for me, but you really strike me as somebody, man, that's been beat down over and over again. And just when you give somebody like that a chance that has your mindset and, and just wants to win, watch out because you've it's, done it's, something, you've done something very special, bro, that not a lot of people have been able to do. It's that obsessive nature, just channeling it the right way. I mean, a lot of people who are really successful in this industry, you know, you know, Seth Granny, like Lee Barber, just for some examples of people I know, uh, Brandon Cottrell, these are people in recovery. Uh, but I mean, you don't have to have a drug or alcohol problem to be successful, but that obsessive nature does help. It's it, like, like I said, it's all about channeling it the right way. Perfect. Thank you for clarifying that. So thank you to everybody for tuning in for another episode of the Grow to Gold podcast. I know you got some value from this one. If you have not yet subscribed, please make sure you do so so you never miss another episode. And if you could, please give us a review to help us organically grow the show. Thank you so much for your time. And we'll see you next time on the Grow to Gold podcast.